Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Kennedy, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are Jara. Hello. Sarah. Hi. And special guest, Jesse Gender. Hi, hi. <laughs> oh my gosh, I want that intro for every time I'm on a podcast. Just not the, not this actual sound, just you doing that. Oh, just, just my air horns? We can make it <laughs> yes, so, I'm sure. Yes. Well, thanks for joining us, Jesse. We really appreciate you making time in your day to join us as we talk about everyone's other favorite Dax, Esri. But before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get awesome rewards, from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit patreon.com slash womenatwarp for more info. Looking for podcast merch? You should check out our Tee Public store. There are so many designs, with new ones being added all the time, and on so much more than just t-shirts. Find it at tpublic.com slash stores slash women at warp. So this episode is brought to you by a Patreon request. Thank you, Devin, for re- recommending everyone's other favorite decks. I don't mind if I do if we get right on into it. Um, there are so many things to bring up when we talk about Dax, right? We can talk about the the importance of stepping into a character in its in the show's seventh season. We can talk about being the young kid, joining a, a, a crew of people that has already been through hell and high water, but I feel like Dax is, is more than that, and we've collected uh, a handful of episodes here that really give you an idea of, of what Esri specifically is about. I'm so used to calling them Dax. It's just Dax. But no, we're talking about Esri today. Um, her first episode was Image in the Sand. Whew! What a way to step into a thing. Hey, um, you don't know me, but I'm your friend. I know you're experiencing a little bit of a psychotic break, but it's okay. <laughs> it's going to be me, you, your dad, and your son, and we're just going to go through the desert till we find what you're looking for, okay? Okay. Well, it's, it's a great first way to meet someone, you know? It's how I like to meet friends, you know? Take a desert trip together. Let's go on this quest. I'm also really into their desert robes, and oh, yes. glad glad we got to see more Starfleet desert robes in Disco. I'm, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm into the them having different uniforms for different terrain. And oh, absolutely! It was also kind of a brilliant setup for a new character you're introducing in the very last season. You take your whole first episode and be like, okay, this is where everyone is, and then throw her in at the very end. And then there's a lot of Ezri Dax episodes in the season like heavy Ezri Dax episodes mm-hmm. yeah yeah most definitely I also really like this intro to her too in this situation because she's getting to know Cisco to a degree and she also knows him and so Cisco's like trying to trust her and getting to know her while he's going through a lot and but also like trying to figure each other out it's just it's a nice like way to showcase her sort of like knowing everyone but still fish out of water feel to her Right. And it also did a good job of answering a lot of questions that people had about the immediate transition from one host to another. Does this person still like the same things? Do they uh, still use this? Are they still right-handed versus left-handed? Like, and all that stuff. Her realizing that she really doesn't like Ractagino, mm-hmm. <laughs> which that's got to be 
bizarre, right? To want something suddenly out of nowhere and then to decidedly not. One thing I thought was super interesting when I was looking at the background is um, Iris Stephen Bear talked about how um, it's tough in the last year Uh, is the quote, because you're thinking so much about the end of the series and you're so busy worrying about, well, we don't want to repeat ourselves. So to have this new character suddenly come on, who's not a new character because she's still Dax, was just such a wonderful thing for us because it was like, oh, we know what to do with that. We could give you 20 stories with that. And that was something I found super interesting because I remember like when I first saw season seven as it was airing, I was like, it felt like my impression was that um, they felt they had to give a, a lot of episodes to Esri to establish the character. Um, and that like, there was an extent where, or to an extent I was like, wished I had more time with kind of some of the other plot arcs, although definitely not the Kaiwin Galdicott sleeping together one. Um, <laughs> but this actually just made me look at it in a new way. And I was like, oh, that actually is kind of brilliant. And like, it, you do get to that point We've, we've seen them talk about it in other series of Star Trek where you just are like, well, we've already done this episode. How do we tell the story a new way? And like, well, you have a new character now. Yeah, I, I really appreciated that because it's, it's so, it's such a testament to Nicole DeBoer and the writing team as well that like, you know, I go through and I think about Esri and even though she's only in one season, I like fully feel and understand her character. Like, I feel like I, I got a lot of her and understood her by the season's end. And it also at the same time, while there are a lot of episodes focused on her, it didn't feel like it detracted from the like overall story arc of the season. It was just like a really nice balance of like showcasing this character while also getting us into the actual like story of the Dominion War ending up. Right. Plus there was no way for them to realistically introduce a new character and not give her exposition, not explain you know, who she is as an individual as opposed to who she is as an officer, because we already know who everybody else is. So, I mean, I think it would be fairly natural for anybody in that situation, especially in a senior officer capacity in the middle of a war zone, to be like, hey, so <laughs> tell me about Esri. We need to learn who you are, not only so that we can, you know, move forward on, on you as an individual, but also come to terms with mourning, for lack of a better term, Jadzia, and not conflating the two. And not just Dax, but her characters used to facilitate a lot of finishing up the arcs of other characters, like Nog. Right. Mm-hmm. And really tie up a lot of those loose ends. And because she was new and because she was a counselor, she was in the perfect position to do that. Yeah, which is like an element of like, Deep Space Nine that really was missing that I, I, you, when she comes on as a counselor, you sort of realize like, oh, this is something that Deep Space Nine, like this crew more than, mm-hmm. more than the Enterprise crew needed a counselor, like real bad. And so it was just like nice to see that, like you get in, um, some of the episodes. It was just like, oh, that, that's a good dynamic to add to this crew, especially with all the trauma of past seasons. Yeah. Vic Seriously. Fontaine only goes so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love him. You know, because there's Philly roots there, but at the same time, let's let's do something else. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, they did such a good job with establishing Esri as a, a fully fleshed out person who was still learning herself that we could have gotten another season of Deep Space Nine on the mm-hmm. heels of that because mm-hmm. of what she said, right? The fact that she was tying up so many other loose ends because she was counselor in the middle of a war zone when people desperately needed it, like... 
I mean, season eight would have been like the mental health season where we like kind of wrap it like an epilogue almost. It could have, I would have been happy with a little like, I don't know, 10 episode epilogue and just wrapped mm. everything up with a button because even though Deep Space Nine ended in a, in a finite way, um, I'm sure the rest of us can agree. And, and anyone else who's a fan of that series in particular could have, could have definitely gotten more from it for sure. And what I also love about her, and this this kind of gets into the next uh, episode a little bit that we want to talk about, which is my if we if you don't mind me jump into that one, um, of course. But it is my favorite episode of her after image. And what I love about this episode, uh, there's a couple things I love about this episode, but one in particular is that it also, while she is a counselor, it showcases that she's not like the Deanna Troy, where she's all confident and knows her stuff and can get things done uh, as a counselor but that she actually is still learning and is unsure how to proceed. Like she's fresh out of the Academy and she honestly kind of gets, she kind of fails with Garrick initially and Garrick calls her out and really gets at her insecurities. He's being a huge asshole when he does that, but it just showcases how much like she feels unconfident both in her role as a counselor and in her identity. And I, I also just love Within that, too, uh, there's so many – I mean, we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, as we get into it. But there's, like, so many moments that I, as a trans person, just, like, read into that episode um, that I just, like, adore as she's sort of, like, figuring herself out in it, in it. That I can talk about in a minute if you want me to, but I want to pass it off. Yeah, that instance with Garrick in particular was fascinating, I felt, because we had – at least I had gotten comfortable with Garrick and, mm-hmm. and everything – that he was right. You, you meet, you accept people where they're at. And I had at that point accepted Garak and all of his complex <laughs> dubiousness. Right. But mm-hmm. to see him turn on Esri was like, Whoa, first of all, I got protective. Like, Whoa, fam, cool out. <laughs> this is fleet. Relax. But then I was also like, Oh, right. You are a Cardassian and y'all are prone to this kind of stuff. So it really, it served to flesh both of them out in a really cool way. I'm glad you brought that up. And yeah, I, I also love it too because it also speaks to Garrick because like his whole thing is he's having panic attacks that episode. And so he he lashes out at her and her insecurities, which he's good at doing because mm-hmm. he that's like his whole job is like he was supposed to read people really well as a spy. So he could get at her insecurities, but he's trying to deflect from his own crap that he's going on with like he's trying to hide that and i love that cisco this is why i love cisco so much in that episode um because he's just right there and being like esri you can do this you have confidence like he never doubts her for a second and he just gives her the confidence to go back to garrick and say like no you're not you're not pushing this on me you need to deal with your stuff because you're going through somewhere right here and you can't just shoot it back at me yes i am i'm a person too and have my own insecurities which i also love to see acknowledged but I, I liked that we we got to see, you know, that give and take as a counselor. She's figuring herself out and, and her learning how to deal with that with Garrick. And then just Cisco being freaking the best friend of all time in that episode. I don't remember if it's that episode or another one where they're having a conversation and Esri's doing a headstand and Cisco's on the floor next to her. Yep, that's that's mm-hmm. that's my favorite. I love that scene so much. Because he asked her at some point, why are you doing that? And it's clear that he just walked in the room, saw his friend doing a headstand and laid down on the floor to talk to her. Yes. <laughs> it, it was just so casual. And I, I just, I appreciate that because, do you mind me getting on a little trans rant real quick? Go for it. I, I love this scene so much because uh, the way I always equate it is like Jetsia Dax, uh, you know, for putting a trans lens on that character. She was someone who was like, 
fully transitioned. She's full out. She's full confident in herself and her identity. And yeah, there's some stuff that figures out, but that's to figure out. But every person has that. Esri is like a little baby trans, just trying to figure herself out and just trying to understand where she's is in all this. And one of the most helpful things to have for that is that when you're a trans person coming out, you feel like, I don't know who I am. Do I, do I go like, you know, for me, it was like, I went full femme and like, was like super, you know, girly and was trying to like figure out my identity that didn't really feel right. And so you're trying to find yourself, even though, you know, you want to transition, you don't exactly know how, and to have someone like a Cisco who is there, who's like, I got you. I will be there for you. I will, I will push you when you need to be pushed and call you out when you need to be called out. Cause I know you regardless of just, you know, things like gender, but I know you're, you're who you are as a person. And I just, I, I just loved his, his just standing by her in all of that. And it, it is one of the most amazing things that a friend can do for a trans person. And I love seeing that reflected in Esri's journey. Yeah. yeah. And it's also on brand for Cisco. Mm-hmm. as well you know what i mean aside from the long-standing relationship that he had established with dax um he was really good at encouraging his officers without mitigating how they did their jobs you know what i mean mm-hmm. i love how he handled kira specifically because she yep. was a firecracker at jump street and cisco never tried to you know, diminish her experience or, or calm her down or anything. He just kind of like steered her energy in a way that she could come to the right conclusion on her own in her own time, but on his, on his clock, you know what I mean? So I just, Cisco's the best friend a person, a femme presenting person can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, a while back we did an episode called like best male allies in Star Trek. And we talked a bit about Cisco and Kira because the other thing he does is, um, acknowledge that she has a, a different view as a Bajoran who survived the occupation that is like valid and that her subjectivity doesn't make her less able to weigh in on these on situations that but it makes her more able to weigh in on situations that are related to it. And I I we didn't talk about Esri, but I'm like, this is kind of another example um where he, you know, meets her where she's at and and encourages her and supports her and will kind of be there for wherever she ends up going. Yeah. And another thing to in speaking on this like ability to be an ally and to be like a firm, you know, stalwart, you know, ally to people in these situations. I also in that episode want to also call out O'Brien, who does a really wonderful thing as well in a completely different way. Again, I'm going to put the trans reading on to it just cuz it's sort of helpful for me. Um but in that episode Worf is having such a hard time taking Ezri on her own terms because they had just gone the past two episodes just gone on that like whole warrior trip to like justify like to send Jetsy off to Stovo Core. And so when he gets back, he sees Ezri and he's like, you're not my wife. I'm not going to just like pushes her away because he doesn't see her as his wife or having being able to ever live up to her. And O'Brien goes to Worf and just calls him out and saying like Jetsy is dead and that, that sucks. It hurts. We are all feeling that pain. But by walling yourself off from Esri because of that, you're allowing yourself to miss the person that she is and 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 sort of not allowing yourself to see her as her own person. And, you know, I've, I've had the experience and I've seen a lot of other pe- trans people have a similar experience where, you know, people will feel a sense of mourning for who you were before your transition and always like relate you to that as like something that they lost instead of seeing the person that they gained. I, you know, I had a close friend of mine just really briefly who 
was like, oh, uh, who was just very transphobic one night and just like, I missed when you were, my, and then said my dead name. Um, and it was just like this sense of like what he had lost and refusing to see like how I was happier as a person and not taking me on my own terms. And so like that scene where O'Brien just calls Worf out on that, I'm like, hell yeah, O'Brien, just I'm going to give you all the claps for that. That's awesome. Yeah, we had um a, an article on our blog written by Alyssa Harris um that talked about how she related her experience transitioning to Docs and talked about specifically that um how she when she had friends or family that didn't really react or seem to have difficulty with accepting her transition um that she looked at deep space nine and what esri went through and the the tensions that people had and and that helped her navigate that's those situations as well she also talks about how she like cuts her hair and dumps her boyfriend um as part of the like questioning who she is and goes through all of these like big kind of life changes that's true. She dumped her boyfriend, cut her hair, and then found a new one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <it was> <laughs> a doctor! <laughs> Ow! Talk about an upgrade. Bring him back <laughs> to the family. <laughs> I didn't love her ending up with Julian. Tell okay, can we talk that. about war first? Because um, I have I have some thoughts. No, let's let's start I feel with like, war. Yeah, I feel like this will be a good build up because okay. war justifies why she would look somewhere else. Yes. <laughs> A hundred percent. So I, um, I watched the, uh, the arc where, uh, she goes out to the Gamma Quadrant to rescue Worf, um, and they are stuck on a planet together and then they get kidnapped by the Breen and she's having all of these dreams and it's like talking about Julian in her sleep and they're, you know, trying to, her and Worf are trying to navigate their feelings for each other. Um, and I was just so annoyed by how slut shamey Worf was being with, mm-hmm. um, like her and Jedzia's history. Like she brings up Captain Baudet once and he's like starts badgering her about whether Jedzia slept with him. And then what leads to them making out is just, oh, the scene just drives me nuts. Um, where, uh, you know, she's asking, um, you know, who are you really angry with me or Jedzia? And, um, she she's like you're crazy and he's like you could make anyone crazy so even counselors in the 21st century are still using ableist language but anywho um and then Mm. uh, she goes like talk to me you coward and he goes don't call me a coward and uh he goes perhaps you would rather be on the station with captain baudet you snevok and then she tries to take a punch at him and he grabs her and kisses her and i'm just like i hate all of this problematic Um, Although mm-hmm. I kind of want a shirt now that is um, anti-Sleevok shaming. <laughs> um, I love it. But yes, because we all know what that means. According to Memory Alpha, it just means someone who sleeps around. But like, Worf, dude, mm-hmm. you're, dude, you're, you're supposed to be I, like at least a teeny bit more woke by this point in your arc. No, Worf no. is the quintessential old grumpy ass man who is a good dude at his core but is is has no desire to grow mm. beyond that core um which in his case is cool because like i said he, he started from a good place but widely a lot of a lot of especially older men can get into this bag where they don't feel that they need to progress in any way mm. because they've gotten to this point in their life and they're quote unquote just fine so I feel like Worf behaving that way was 
totally on brand because he tried to slut shame Kalar when she wouldn't marry him after that one time they banged. Maybe it wasn't that good, bro. Maybe you didn't show her the sword of Kaylas to the point where she felt the need to put a ring on it. How dare you try to shame her for this? Um, and, and I just, to see it come to that point, especially with Ezri, who had nothing to do with any of that, was just like, uh, but again, that could have been that extra eighth season or that little, you know, epilogue of them, you know, really sitting down and coming to terms with that and her counseling him. Because who else but better mm-hmm. to counsel Worf but his ex-wife? <laughs> I, 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 I agree with uh, all, all of this, to be very fair. I 100% agree on Worf's characterization. This feels entirely in line. And actually, my take on it, though, is while I do have some problems uh, with the depiction to a degree, it, it all actually read true to me. Mm-hmm. It, like, this is something that these characters would do and would have happen. Because Worf's obviously dealing with some complex stuff coming off of Jetsia. And Esri, too, I feel like, would do that to sort of, like, affirm her actual not-desire of Worf. To, like, have sex with him and be like, I I had all these feelings because I had some residual stuff left over from Jetsia's life with him. But now that I've had sex with him, it's like, I'm over it. I got it. I understand that this dude is not for me. And I can go be with my doctor boyfriend. In some ways, I think that Esri is is almost like a proto new Star Trek character. Like, mm. you know, I, I guess, you know, you could say the whole like Deep Space Nine walked so that Discovery could fly. And like Esri, like starting to get into, into season seven, you get a lot more messiness. Like you do have gray areas and complexity before that. But um, I think like that the example of of Esri going through this stuff and and having these kind of messy relationship changes with Worf in particular and these like a lot of discussion of of emotions and the role of of her thoughts and feelings and counseling and stuff like all of those things I think um in a way just kind of like paved the way for what we're able to do in Star Trek now and I do agree that like I can see how they end up there and like think that there it makes sense on some level even if it was like maybe a bit personally frustrating for me mm-hmm. no it's fair but I, I think we glossed over it just a little bit and i wanted to get into this before we get into julian because i definitely want to hear sarah's thoughts on this i wanted to give a shout out to uh field of fire the episode where she's basically uh joron dax um, Trekker Nan on Twitter says, my favorite Esri episode is Field of Fire, where she confronts the darkest part of herself, Joran, in order to catch a killer. Beyond being a great locked room murder mystery, I think it is a much needed moment for growth for every, or a moment of growth for Esri as she tackles her inner demons. Yeah, that shit was scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was definitely like, I mean, mainly because we have this impression that the starfleet and the federation is is spy proof is murder proof is for for lack of a better term a safe environment where we don't have to worry about murderous people getting their hands on weapons that can do crazy things um so to see that in starfleet in general was jarring but also at this point in deep space nine where they have enough warfare going on was just like oh my god this is so heavy and here's this new person just being tossed into this and to see her come up triumphant from that was really neat yeah i so i have actually an interesting interesting take on this episode that i actually just recently came to because field of fire was my favorite 
Esri episode up until about a year ago where I rewatched the show and then fell in love with After Image because I related to it so hard. But then Field of Fire was still my second favorite, but then I spoke to, for all the reasons that we mentioned, but then I actually just recently did an interview with Alex White, who is a non-binary author who wrote the recent Star Trek Deep Space Nine uh, novel that just came out, and uh, they are the first non-binary, out non-binary writer to write a Star Trek book, and they focused entirely on Dax, and they did a whole backstory on Duran because they had a big problem with the depiction of Duran as this person who's clearly suffering from mental health issues mm. um, and being like, well, he's a murderer because he's crazy. Um, and instead, instead of recognizing how people who have mental health issues are more often to be the victim of crime than the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. And if you read the book, I don't want to spoil the book too much for people. You should go read it. It's actually really, really good. But they did uh, really extra heavy lifting in that book to give a backstory to Duran that actually depicts Duran as not letting him off the hook for the horrible things that he did, but also to discuss like where that mental health issues were coming from and why he did what he did. And so looking back on Field of Fire, it's with that perspective, it's sort of like, oh, there's an inherent issue here with this depiction of this character. That's very cool. And yeah, Star Trek has a bit of a problem with that, like much of pop culture. I just felt really bad for Ezra in that episode because on top of everything else she's dealing with, she meets the creepiest guy she's ever met in her entire life <laughs> and he's in her own head. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. So... Sarah, so, let's have it. Wow. Well, tell me, tell me everything. Tell me more about this. What's the tea? I got spoons. <laughs> so you ever like break up with a long-term relationship and then all the guys in your life are suddenly like, oh, well, you can date me now. I feel like that's what mm. happened to Esri because then Julian's after her mm. and Quark's after her. Captain Bodet is after her. And I just feel like she could have, she's an entirely new person. She could have dated someone entirely new and said she's dealing with all of Jadzia's admirers baggage. Mm-hmm. Mm. And That's really, why Julian? Because he's a doctor. And plus, have you seen Sadiq El Shadu? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I mean, yes, but did he, did he like mature? Did he? Did his character arc really go somewhere? Is he still the same guy that has been dating his patients the entire series? Totally. But I feel like, at least my justification of it, is that when he was pressuring Jadzia early on in the series, I feel like, at least how I interpreted what I saw, is that she appreciated the effort even though she knew that she was out of his league and too mature for him and seeing Esri with him was kind of like this might have been a part of Jadzia that had a thing for Julian but knew that it could never be anything at that present time at that point in time rather but you're not wrong because it is kind of like there's a whole quadrant full of people out here and you're going to date the one that's been hounding you since well, Jump Street? I, I think my other issue with it is it is, I think, similar to Voyager. Like, there is a sense of, like, at the end, oh, crap, we better make sure that everyone's paired off heterosexually. Because, um, mm. like, Bashir also has, obviously, a lot of queer subtext uh, with uh, both O'Brien and Garrick. Mm. Um, and uh, so I'm just like, as someone who is like maybe a bit of a, a like guilty pleasure Bashir Garrick shipper. I was just like, oh, they don't, he, he doesn't, he doesn't have to. <laughs> right. 
I do like how the books take it. The the books after yeah. uh, Deep Space Nine take it in the direction of that they kind of ultimately figure out that they're not good for each other and break up. Which I actually mm-hmm. feel again that rings true to me too. Where again, like they kind of would hook up, especially at the end of such a big ordeal like a huge war. That that would be like, yeah, find the person that you can get closest to at that moment. I, I totally understand that. But then sort of realize that that's not the case. That being said, that was clearly not the intention by the writers of the show. So, yeah, I I, I, I never really loved it. And especially because it, it also sort of came off, especially when you watched the first episode with her back. I think it was after image or maybe maybe it was shadows and symbols there's like a scene with uh him and quark where they like kind of say well she's available again so we're gonna go after like she we can get after her now like we wanted back in season one because we both had a thing for her then and so it just like feels weird at the end that it's sort of like oh Bashira's owed her was kind of like the feel of it and i i don't think like the writers would probably have thought of it that way but it just comes across as like this well he he been lusting after her for so long so i guess he's older now and and it just felt like that weird sort of possessive thing of it yeah, yeah. when it automatically just positions like three out of what like six or seven of the men she works with as like potential love interests mm-hmm. it's why i really appreciate like her and cisco like and even mm-hmm. cisco and jadzia too but it's just like a really close platonic friendship between like different genders is just not something especially at that time that you didn't really see and so i just i really really love that i will also just give a brief shout out to the fact that she ends up as a captain in the books which is pretty cool Mm-hmm. oh well i don't want to spoil they do stuff with her character that i i was very it was with the right choice but made me very sad in star trek coda the like ending of that timeline yeah mm-hmm. yeah I um I'm just choosing to continue to live in like the <laughs> the twenty twenty five books that happened after the end of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on Julian being owed. It makes me feel like it reminds me of rather I should say um that guy that's been buying you drinks all night and mm-hmm. has been cool and like calm, collected, total gentleman, but then like when he walks you home, gets pissy because you don't invite him up. Yes, it, it that is almost exactly the feel. Yeah, it's except gross. I don't think Julian would get pissy. I think he would sulk. <laughs> <laughs> he would sulk, and then you'd feel bad, and it'd be awkward in that direction. Yeah, but I mean, like, I think the thing—the thing I feel with that is like it's not even the character who's like doing the owing. It's like the writers themselves sort of like feel mm-hmm. like, well, he's owed. Like, it's like the writers sort of being like, well, you know, he lusted after her for so long that it just feels right and proper for him to get her in the end without actually doing the work to showcase that. Yeah, we have heard Iris Stephen Bear say on stage, or talk about on stage, um, giving female characters to male characters like they gave Lita to Rom. <laughs> it's just, it's gross. Yeah, and like season seven of Deep Space Nine, there were no women writers credited the entire season. So as much as I love it, like sometimes you can kind of feel it. Yeah, you can totally tell, especially the whole Kai Wynn Ducat thing. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh God. <laughs> don't, don't even go there. <laughs> Every time I watch that arc, I just, I, I keep hoping that the nausea will settle and it never does i just oh. every time i get more like i did it. want to um mention a, a non-romantic esri wharf moment that 
I, I particularly like, Ooh. but was also shouted out by our listener, Patrick, who said, uh, was talking about, um, the episode Tacking into the Wind, where Worf is like kind of glum about the Klingon Empire and like asks for Esri's opinion. And she just straight up is basically like, Hey, the Klingon Empire is dying. Um, and it kind of deserves to right now. And if you are gonna back Gowron, then like, how much honor do you really have? Um, and, uh, it's lovely. Patrick says this for me is one of her defining moments, especially when she calls back to Worf's personal history to drive her point home. I love that moment. It's so, it's like, yes, my, like, socialist comrade, Ezri, just, just, like, destroying this and just calling out, like, corrupt political structures. It's just like, she gets it. She gets it. I love her when, when she did it. It's, it's like, I, I would say that's probably my favorite Esri moment overall. Like the rest, uh, like After Image is my favorite episode, but that moment is my favorite moment for her. I've got issues, not issues. I have thoughts on that moment, um, but I don't want to derail the conversation too, too far away from, from Esri. But I'll say, I'll try to sum it up and say this. It's always hard when someone has stinging commentary about an element of your culture or your heritage that you may be cognizant of, but are forced to, I don't want to say reconcile with, but justify in ways that aren't obvious, or at least in terms of being the right way to go about it. Um, and it smacks with Worf particularly because he didn't grow up in Klingon culture. He didn't grow up with other Klingons. He had to learn all of that. And to be someone who had to learn their own culture and then still not have a chance to live in it, but then constantly have to go over there to clean up the mess and then have, an, uh, for all intents and purposes, an outsider, even though Dax was Curzon at one point, um, tell you that, like, hey, your whole jam is trash here. It's like, oh, there's a great on Esri for, for calling him out on that. 110%. I want to be clear on that part. But the complexities of what that means for a person displaced from their culture working away from their culture but also being really attached to that culture like there's layers there that i just as as much as i gave wharf crap for being a grumpy old man like there's elements like that that i'm just like oh there's no right answer here (laughs) this is complex that's actually really really cool i never thought about that that's actually a really amazing perspective Oh, we can go on for days about Klingon stuff, but let's not. <laughs> <laughs> let's not. Let's stay focused. So I was trying to do an Esri episode rewatch the last few days, and I was really surprised how much I liked her because I didn't remember liking her that much when I originally watched. And I realized it's because the show was on when I was in high school and college originally, mm-hmm. and my imposter syndrome was not developed yet. Yes. Mm, so I same. get her now. Um, a lot of our listeners have similar feelings. Annika said, I felt like all the characters in the cast were fully formed, whereas Esri was still finding herself. Um, Jonathan on Twitter said, I did her DS9 rewatch after finishing college, transitioning from student life to a career in adulthood, navigating and managing people's expectations of you while still discovering who you are, etc. I remember relating to Esri and her awkwardness quite a bit. Yeah, I had the the same kind of experience as you, Sarah, where I was watching this as like a tween 
And I was still, you know, brought up in TNG and had this idea that, like, these were all supposed to be characters that you were aspiring to be. And I, you know, going back and rewatching more recently, I have a new appreciation for Esri and can see, like, and forgive her choices more as, like, that. that is actually a very, like, normal human thing that all of us go through. And it, it shows her navigating challenges instead of having already overcome them. And that's really valuable in and of itself. I have like, it's interesting that here always hear stories of people's reactions to Ezri because my, my experience was weirder because I caught Deep Space Nine well after it had aired. Like I, I, you know, wasn't watching Trek until like Enterprise was on the air. Uh, and so I would catch random Deep Space Nine episodes like out of order when they did reruns. So Ezri episodes are just like slot in next to Jadzia episodes. So I was like, oh, this is just like a different Dax who just appears at some point. And I just sort of like had to roll with it. And she's just like a friend who appeared with everyone and developed in a weird way <laughs> next to next to like my like watches of the show. So it's 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 a perspective that I don't have of like having her feel like to some people like she just sort of came into this series at the uh sort of a weird moment so wait jesse are you saying that your first trek was enterprise my first trek that i watched week to week yeah was enterprise specifically my first episode i had seen more trek before then like my dad had shown me some tng and, and things like that but the first episode that i caught like live as it aired was the season two finale the expanse that was my first ever trek episode Sheesh. that i saw the uh -huh. night it premiered wow it is i mean oh so this is why Star Trek is so freaking cool, because only in a franchise that's been around this long do you have the opportunity to have different perceptions formed around these characters corresponding to when a person saw them in their life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the fact that you and several other people, Jesse, were really cemented in the fandom, or at least found your own path into the panda fandom through enterprise is like oh my god as someone who grew up on it and then kind of black sheeped enterprise <laughs> until i got over my own bullshit and went back and watched it like gave it a fair shot that just boggles my mind i don't understand how older trek fans can get so pissy when new people are enjoying things like what i would have never Oh, no, I find it fascinating. Like, sorry, this is an aside, but like, I love it because it's like I have friends who get into like discovery and stuff. I'm like, ooh, what, what do you think about this? Not having that, like, I just love hearing their perspective without the context that I have. Mm -hmm. It's just so interesting. Yes. I just one of the coolest experiences that I had was a friend of mine watched Lower Decks first, and then she was also watching Deep Space Nine at the same time, and she got to the episode where Boimler gets the transporter clone, and they reference uh, Thomas Riker nice. in it. And then I think like a week after she got to the episode where Thomas Riker shows up in Deep Space Nine and had her mind blown. And <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my God, it's him. And she has still yet to see the first episode where Thomas Riker actually shows up. It was just like the backwards way through that arc. And it was just kind of funny. Oh, man. Riker sandwich. I wanted to circle back a bit to like Ezra's role as a counselor and... um I know, uh, so we actually um, interviewed Nicole DeBoer on the podcast in 2018, and actually Annika, who we, we chat, uh, mentioned earlier, uh, interviewed her, and um, she talked a bit about, like, how she was proud that, you know, being a counselor and, and also dealing with her own mental health issues as a character helps to destigmatize mental illness, and... Um, 
She is also quoted in another interview as, as saying, you know, it's kind of ironic to have this person being a counselor when she's so messed up herself. It makes her a good counselor, actually, in some ways, because she can relate really well to people. She has a different way of doing it. It's not Deanna Troy. It's not that type of counseling, but it's different. It's good. And it works for Esri. And I really like that because I think that what the show reminds us is that and we see this in in discovery again the link there is that um mental health professionals also need mental help um that and like you know in our world today that if you're if you're a psychologist or um a counselor in a lot of uh, depending on your particular type of accreditation in some cases it's actually required that you're also seeing your own person to help unpack the things that you're going through in your life as well as the things you're hearing from your clients cuz that's actually like a really big burden and I think it's kind of similar to, I'm sure that like all of us have had experiences with like doctors who aren't particularly empathetic. Um, and, uh, in some ways, like if a doctor can show that they can put themselves in your shoes and understand, like, you know, not minimize what you're going through. Um, the same is true for a counselor that if, um, someone is able to, Sometimes, you know, for some, in some situations, if someone's able to show, yeah, I get that vulnerability. I've been there as well. And in some ways I'm dealing with this too in a way that isn't like recentering on them. I think that can be really powerful and, and really kind of a secret superpower. Yeah. I 100% agree. And I think it's also kind of fun that everything you said, like that we're seeing that in a weird way come back around now with discovery with, with Culber. Um, like Culver's having that same journey as a therapist with, without saying too much about what's going on with season four. Cause I know some folks haven't been able to watch it, but, um, I will just say like that exact sort of arc is happening with Culver as a therapist, sort of dealing with his balancing his work and not being able to like always take over for everybody, but wanting to be there for everybody. And then also how he's in a, in a different way tied very much into the trill stuff in discovery as well with Adira and gray. So it's just like kind of interesting to see like how that all connects in kind of really interesting ways. I I was going to say that Wilson himself has even drawn parallels between Colbert's experience and being trans since Colbert technically has a whole new body. Mm. um, And uh, like a pickup where we left off type of consciousness um, from season two of discovery. And you're right. I don't want to, I don't want to give too much of, of season four away if you haven't gotten a chance to watch it. But what's going on with Colbert now in terms of his capacity to be a counselor? Um, and the, the motivation behind it is I'm trying to figure out how, how, how he phrased it that, that kind of drew a parallel. Oh shit. It's all in season four. God damn it. Never mind. <laughs> watch season four. And then hit me up on Twitter and yes. we can talk about it. <laughs> or like, if you want to spoil it for yourselves, you can read Kennedy's awesome recaps on our blog or watch Jesse's videos. <laughs> yes. Plug, plug, yay. <laughs> but um, I, I think it's like, I've definitely shifted since I first watched Deep Space Nine and, you know, being raised in that TNG mold about people being aspirational. And, you know, there's, there's um, a discussion about how um, Gene Roddenberry apparently, for example, didn't feel that like kids who lost their parents would feel grief in the future. And that was a discussion that came up around uh, the TNG episode where, where the kid's mom dies. And, um, and that like, they kind of successfully fought that. Um, and I've certainly 
you know, partly that didn't seem like it made a lot of sense to me. Um, the that idea that like we would just have surpassed or like um, uh, risen above these emotions. Um, and I'm now definitely more a proponent of like I want to see characters struggling with relatable shit um, mm. and getting through it. Um, and I do. I don't want it to just be like angst all the time or like you know, um, like tokenizing deaths and stuff. Um, but, um, I think that being able to see people go through stuff that we're going through and overcome it is one of the most powerful parts of, um, some of the newer tracks as well as, as I would say Deep Space Nine, but like Voyager, we also have like Janeway and Bolana dealing with mental health issues. And those are like the moments I, that have actually meant the most to me. Yeah. I think that's what makes Discovery work for me really well as well, and what makes Esri really work for me as well. Like, she just feels so incredibly relatable on so many levels. She just, she feels like, in a weird way, like one of the most human characters in all of Star Trek, because she just, she lays all of her insecurities, wears all of her insecurities on her sleeve, Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of beautiful. Yeah, she also, like, she verbalizes all of them, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of love that she kind of talks to herself and, like, runs on, you know, the thoughts all kind of come out of her mouth about, like, oh, sorry, I'm doing this because Emini did this. I'm doing this. Oh, oh, sorry, Curzon used to do this. And, like, kind of self-editing out loud. And I also find that very relatable. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I didn't even, I didn't even, you know, I, I do that so often. Like, I think out loud all the time. I never actually like made that recognition with Esri because it's just so weirdly self-evident with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that going back and watching Deep Space Nine again gave me a greater appreciation mm. for Esri. Um, at the time when it was on the air, I didn't, I wasn't thinking of it from the perspective of a trans allegory necessarily and, and a person transitioning from one element of their life to the next. All I saw was the loss of Jadzia. Um, so maturing a little bit and going back and watching it again, um, made me, you know, I was kind of, it made me like look at myself a little bit. And I think that's the most powerful thing about Esri is that she forces you to come to terms with whatever prejudices, whatever, uh, conditioning, whatever issues an individual might have in watching the show. Esri is a great sounding board. Um, to challenge that in a very gentle, um, natural way. I, yeah. I, I keep, I keep resisting the urge to say human because that's, as, as it bore says, racist. <laughs> Cause she ain't human. And, um, I feel like that's for the benefit. It helped. I think it, it helps those of us deal with these very, that these issues aren't inherently human, right? Mm-hmm. That these issues exist across cultures, across species, across, uh, space and time. Yeah. I may I may I divert for a quick second to just quick mm. mention two real quick things that I just I think it's important um, with Ezri that I think are important to touch upon. Um, we haven't talked about Prodigal Daughter, which is yeah. probably for the best because uh, <laughs> it's my my personal least favorite episode of her. But one thing I love in that episode 
is her at the dinner table with her family. Then this is the first time that they like have met her post having Dax in her. And I, I almost said post transition. Cause again, that's how I read it. And like, she literally has a speech where she says, sometimes I screw up pronouns. Sometimes I don't know if I'm a boy or a girl and mm-hmm. I have to like check, which like, it, there's a bit of like essentializing, you know, someone's gender in their genitals in that, in that joke. But it's like, it's such a humor. Like you clearly see, she's trying to make humor out of mm-hmm. like the situation. And, she's incredibly uncomfortable and no one gets the humor and i have done that exact thing with family or i'll like come home after like when they were still getting used to me transitioning i'll be like i'll make like weird jokes about being trans and they're just like still uncomfortable with it and so then i'm like i'm just trying to make it normal and and no one else is getting it and i just that moment despite that episode being not great uh at least in my opinion uh that moment just was is wonderful and then the other two things that I just want to quick mention is like um, Mirror Esri mm-hmm. is is worth mentioning. And I think the biggest thing, like there's a lot of problematic stuff in that whole episode just in general. But it is worth mentioning that while it is coded as like evil, like uh, because all, you know, sexualities have to be coded as evil if they're not straight in, you know, this era of television. But I do think it is worth mentioning that she is explicitly stated to be gay or bisexual. Which is not something you really see. Like, like Mira Kira had been like jokingly hinted at being bisexual and like had moments, but like Ezri's like, I am all about Mira Kira, and they have a whole thing, and it's just it's very kind of explicitly stated. So I I think that's really cool to at least acknowledge, even though there is all sorts of problematic asterisks all over that. And then the final thing, thing it's worth acknowledging too that like the crappy like as much as I love Ezri. The crappy reasons for which we got her, um, uh, because of the situation uh, behind the scenes. Well, I thought uh, we yeah. were going to be able to get through this without us talking about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just it's worth acknowledging that. Yo, completely. Like, so the crap, the crappiness that um, that poor Terry Farrell had to deal with with Rick Berman and why she she left the show uh, because of the crap that she had to go through. And as much as I love Esri, it's it sucks that. You know, we have to get these really cool characters at the expense of harm done to women in real life, which is not mm-hmm. the first time in Trek. I mean, you look at something yeah. like uh, like Dr. Crusher and Dr. Pulaski, yes. same thing. And Yar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Yar. Yeah. Well, and also the, and the way that they kill off Jadzia as well, um, which I don't need to go into. But yeah, I mean, I think the Pulaski comparison is really apt because it's like, yeah, I get it. We all miss Dr. Crusher, but like, if you... You know, uh, Dr. Bolaski is another one that a lot of people have gone back and rewatched and been like, actually, she's pretty cool in some ways. Not me. Um, I still got beef with Pulaski. <laughs> I don't like her either. I, I accept her as, you know, chief medical officer and shit. I respect the rank, but I didn't appreciate her racism, even though she like kind of got better at it. Like, mm. how did you get this far in your life with these ideals, with this perception and no one's checked you on it? Nobody? Never? Mm-hmm. To be fair, at least that at least gets elucidated as like a, a common prejudice within the Federation, which I at least appreciate that it's like not just her, but like there's a lot of anti-synth prejudice in the Federation that culminates in Star Trek Picard. Yeah. And um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just more talking about the, you know, coming in in, as you mentioned, equivalent, maybe not exactly Mm. equivalent, but like a very similar situation where you have a woman actor who is being uh, treated badly behind the scenes and leaves um, and coming in to and being seen as like a replacement for a beloved character is hard. Yeah. 
it 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 just it's this constant thing that like especially at that time it was just seen that like some like there could only be one woman and like one woman's success necessitates like another women to be to be kicked off instead of like recognizing that no there's room for more women here just in general and and also just the constant harassment that many women you know we should just it was rick berman and also uh you know a little bit of uh uh a little bit of yeah a little bit of responsibility Mm -hmm. goes to well braga also has his own problems Mm -hmm. but in terms of esri uh responsibility goes to iris Stephen bear not for perpetuating that stuff but for you know not being aware of it when it was his job to be like he actively stated he never heard of it and it's like dude you should have known it was your casting show and also, I will say, like, we, we did a, a, an episode where we talked about the DS9 documentary, but I was, like, quite uncomfortable with how that piece was handled in the documentary, mm-hmm. um, where it kind of was, like, presented like a he said, she said. And uh, so even though, you know, he expresses his regret to Terry Farrell, I just felt like the setup, you know, in the end, I think Michael Dorn gets the last word and it's not good. Um and I just felt like that was not an example of good allyship. Yep. Well, that whole doc, I mean, I like that doc in general, but that element and then also just like him patting himself on the back for getting the ep- the, the mm-hmm. tra- very transphobic episode right, like Oof. also rubbed me super wrong. Yeah. But yeah. That's, that's a different aside. But Well, I think uh, we can point some people to some past episodes on the DS9 documentary, uh, Dr. Pulaski, uh, Mirror Universe um definitely some other things um but yeah yeah, i mean i love also that ezra you can kind of spin off into all of these different themes even though she was only there for one season yeah she is i she again it goes back to what i said but at the beginning it's like she is a character that despite having very limited screen time like just makes a strong impression in the short time that she has and and you know it is just a credit i think to to all of them and i I really think uh, you know not to underplay her nicole debar like really mm-hmm. brought it like she brings mm-hmm. a full character for someone coming into a cast like that that's so established right, right. Like, come in to be like confident enough to build a character like that and feel fully fleshed out and even you know like taking that much time from a cast you know that so- could feel really jealous and i never got the sense that other people were but like you know she's getting so many episodes in the show's final season it's just it's just mad respect to nicole debar for for all of that and then stepping into like the full star trek actor um expectation of hey you're in uniform for this episode but now you're in a baseball uniform oh and now Mm. you're a showgirl now you're this now you're that and it's like it's one thing for for an actor to be expected to do these things after they've been contracted in for the season but to step in on someone else's coattails and then still have to lift the same load like i did not give her or the character the credit that they deserved watching it on the air i was just too busy trying to make sense of of the loss and didn't take the time to appreciate what was gained and i'm I'm so glad that i've had the opportunity to go back and do that because what a what a gem what a fancy dan what a fancy dan no just (laughs) take me out to the hollow suite you're all good i got you i got you well, Jesse, real quick, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where can folks find you on the internet? Where can where can we find out more about your projects here? 
For sure. Uh, so you can find me at Jesse Gender on YouTube and Nebula. Those are the two places I'm mainly at. Uh, that channel is where I do my sort of larger uh, video essays. They're about my video essays tend to be about social and political issues and LGBTQ and trans issues, mostly in pop culture, especially Star Trek. Um, and I think for fans of this podcast, if you haven't seen it, probably the thing you'd be most interested in is I have a uh, two and a half hour long video that Kennedy appears in uh, called Sex and Star Trek, where I sort of look at Gene Roddenberry and his history with women, both in front of and behind the scenes of uh, of the original series and Next Generation. And that's going to be part of an ongoing series where I look at like sex and gender and all that stuff in in all the Star Trek series. So that's something to, to look forward to for all the Trekkies on this podcast. And I do a lot of Star Trek content as well. Uh, and then also I have a podcast, uh, that just finished called What the Frell, which is a Farscape rewatch podcast, which I do with Council of Geeks, but that will now be ending because we just finished the rewatch, but we're starting a new podcast called, um, uh, Jumpgate, where we'll be doing the same thing, just rewatching Babylon 5. So that'll yes. be fun. Very excited for that. And then... And then uh, just last things is I have a second channel called Jesse Gender After Dark where I do news, reviews, reactions, and I have a Patreon where people can support me doing what I do and get cool perks like your name and videos and all that stuff. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We always love having you on the show. That is about all the time we have today. Uh, Sarah, where can folks find you on the internet? Folks can find me on Twitter at Sarah Miyoko, S-A-R-A-H, M as in Mary, I-Y-O-K-O. And they can find my fanzine, Star Trek Quarterly, at StarTrekQuarterly.wordpress.com or on Facebook. And Jara, where can folks find you on the internet? I mean, you can find me listening to Jesse's new Babylon 5 podcast uh, now, um, but also on Twitter at Jara Penguin. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. Cool. You can find me on Twitter at that Mikey chick. That's that M-I-K-E-Y-C-H-I-C-K. Uh, but don't act up in my comments because I will drag you, drag you publicly and then block you publicly. <laughs> <laughs> To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com, email us at crew at womenatwarp.com, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. Thanks so much for listening. Hey.